Amen. So we're going to talk about spiritual gifts this morning. A little bit more. Not so much the specific gifts, but we're going to come back and share a couple of things with you about spiritual gifts and the importance of them and where they belong. So how are we supposed to do this thing? You know, a couple of weeks ago when I shared a message with you, I talked with us about how the fact that all of us are engaged in some type of ministry somewhere. Show of hands, how many in the room are preachers? Perfect. You're on for next Sunday. You're going to be here, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. How many, how many in the room are prophets or teachers? All right, I'm just, we all, how many of us are encouragers, administrators? Usually that's where most hands go up in administration. The, uh, how, how many of you have the gift of wisdom? Perfect. A couple of you have, this, have the boldness to raise your hands. You're not intimidated by that. That's cool. Those are all gifts. But the real question is, how do you use those gifts? And where do we use them? Let me share with you a couple of things that are not spiritual gifts. This may surprise you, but coming to church is not a spiritual gift. Did you know that? It isn't. It's not a spiritual gift. Now, we love for you to come, and some people will take that little verse of Scripture that's in Hebrews that says something to the effect, for test's sake, not the assembling of yourselves together, as a matter of some is. You know, that's a good King James, right? I got it, yes, okay. <clears throat> some of us will take that verse of Scripture and say you've got to be at church when the doors are open. And I get that. I do. I mean, I grew up hearing that. My dad, I love him to death. He passed years ago, but he shared that with me a lot as I was a child growing up. And we want to encourage you to be a part of our church services. As often as you are in town and we're open, please come and be here and plug in. Because coming to church, coming here into this assembly, is a place where you and I get to kind of recharge our batteries. Okay? If you're out there in the world all by yourself, doing your thing... And pushing and, and working and trying to be the man or woman that God wants you to be. There's so much that you can do on your own. But there's so much more that you can do with the encouragement of your brothers and sisters here in this body. I found it very interesting this morning when Javon was teaching the class here in the auditorium. He asked some of us, in, well he asked us all, not all of us answered. He asked us why we were... Uh, Christians, why we're members of the church and how we kind of came into that relationship with Christ. And, and one of the questions that he asked was, why do you stay? And it was pretty cool dialogue that was exchanged. And there was a statement that was made that I found very, very interesting and extremely challenging and probably is one of the greatest reasons that we as a church engage in the practice of having small groups. And it's simply this, and I can't quote it and I'm not going to try to quote it, but the essence of the statement was, it's hard to come to church and get excited about being in church when you don't know people that are in the church. You get what I'm saying? You know, I could walk up to any one of you and say, how are you doing today? And you would say what? Fine. That's what you would say. Because that's what you've been trained to say. Because when you were a little bitty kid, your mother used to knock you in the back of the head. When you didn't say that or something else that was similar to that. We're all trained. We have trained behaviors. We're not much different than Pavlov's dogs. And if you don't know that story, go study Psych 101. You'll find the story again. But we learned how to say things. There's some people you never ask that question to, how are you doing? Because you know the answer and you don't want to be there two hours. Because they will literally tell you how they're doing and it's a 27 or 28 or 3 hour discourse of their, all their ailments and all of life and you don't have time for that so you don't ask them. But the reason that we have small groups is to give us an opportunity to get better acquainted with one another and to truly know what's going on in and out of our lives and to allow us to build relationships that are much more 
important and meaningful to us than just walking through the doors of the church building, sitting through an hour of service, singing a few songs, having a prayer, sharing in the communion, listen to someone like me stand and preach and then go home and say, how was your day? It was fine, thank you. You get what I'm saying? And so we engage you in small groups. We invite you to be a part of that. One of the neatest things that's happening in this church is that after the services are concluded, no one really goes home very quickly. We stay in the auditorium and we talk a while. And we stand in the courtyard and we visit or we go into the fellowship hall and we finish the coffee and donuts that was left over from Bible class. Were there any left today? But we do those things, and that's important because what that shows us as a church is we are truly engaging and building in relationship and community, and that's powerful. And so as we go about our business of being the children of God, being the light that shines into the wilderness that's around us, you and I have to engage in one another's lives in order to build one another up so that our aroma can be the right kind of aroma. Second Corinthians, thanks be to God, who always leads us... In uh, as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You and I are engaged in this spreading the knowledge of Jesus. To some we're a saving aroma, to some we're not a saving aroma, but regardless of how they want to respect us and hear us and, and smell us, if you will, we're still that aroma. Our aroma is determined by what God has given us. We all have a spiritual gift. And as we just demonstrated very, very quickly and briefly, not everyone in here is a preacher. Not everyone in here is a teacher. Not everyone in here has wisdom. Not everyone in here has a gift of healing or, or prophecy or other things. But we all have some gift. We all bring something to the table of the body of Christ. We all are a part of the body of Christ. And every single one of us have something that we should be engaged in on a day-in, day-out basis to spread the aroma of Christ in the world in which we live. That's our job. As a believer, as a Christian, as a person who is an aroma, we are to be working in the kingdom around us. And the beautiful thing about how God has put all of these things together is we all have a different part. We all have a different work. But we're all part of one body. And the purpose of us being together, the purpose of our being one body, is to encourage one another to spread this news. Paul says, I'm reminded of your service sincere faith which first lived in our grandmother Lois he's writing to Timothy here and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded now lives in you also for this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for the spirit of God doesn't make us timid but gives us power and love and self-discipline Paul had to encourage Timothy who was a great minister of the gospel in the earliest days of the church to fan and to flame the the, the gift that was given to him so how do you fan and to flame anything there was a period in my life, and, and Lynn, when we used to go camping, our camping now is at Holiday Inn. And if it's Holiday Inn Suites, it's even better. But we used to go camping, and occasionally we'd have a little campfire. And those of you who have done this kind of stuff before, you know that, that sometimes it's easy to get a fire going, sometimes it's not so easy. But if you want to get a really large, roaring fire, you sometimes have to fan the flames with something. We used to use a hairdryer. It was just easier. I didn't have to put my head down at the edge of the fire and burn my eyelashes off trying to blow into the fire. So the hairdryer worked really, really well. They make those little woofer things. I don't know what you call them. Waffles, woofers, swoofers. 
How do you want to fan your flame? Well, let me share with you something. Right now in this place, in this world, when you come into this building on a Sunday or Wednesday or when you come in here on a Thursday to share in the Comfort Cafe with us or when you go into a small group meeting and gathering with people who are around you, guess what you're doing? In essence, you're fanning the flame. You're encouraging. You're building up. You're providing more fuel to the fire, if you will, of whatever the gift is that God has given you. And our coming together, our assembling together, our being together as the body of Christ is a part of what encourages and causes that fan to ignite the fire. And the amazing thing is you and I may not ever know exactly how we were used to ignite that flame in someone else's life. Your words of encouragement to someone your positive encouragement, your encouraging them to go say something, do something, to use the gift that they've been given, those things that you and I say may be the exact thing that a person needs to hear to go do that which God has called them to do. So what do you say about your assembly? What do you say about your time together? Let me share with you another thing that's not a spiritual gift. Grumbling and murmuring. That isn't a spiritual gift. Um, I think that's from the devil. And I don't think that's a spiritual gift in any capacity whatsoever. But do you realize, can you imagine that over the last six or eight months that, that we've had this phenomenal period of transition in our church, can you believe it that there have been people who have grumbled and murmured about what's going on at this church? Can you believe it? We've only lost two preachers in the last year. How many other churches do you know can say that? <laughs> I mean, think about it. What an amazing place to be, to experience that. And people have complained about that. I don't get it. Why would they complain? What's to complain about? I'm being facetious, but I'm not being facetious that some people complain and murmur about stuff. Look, there's no room for that in the body of Christ. I remember there's a story in the Bible where Jesus is with his apostles and Jesus is kind of telling them some of the things that he's got to go through. And one of his most beloved apostles says, no, that'll never happen to you. And Jesus turned around and looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't want to call any of you Satan, but I do want to remind you that grumbling and murmuring is not a spiritual gift. And it really doesn't have a place in the church. Our job when we come together is to encourage one another, to love on one another, to hold one another up. Some of you know what's going on in another person's life in this very room. And you know sometimes there's some tough things happening and it's hard. And you need to be there for them. Sometimes you know when really good things are happening. And you need to be there for them. But grumbling usually doesn't help it. And complaining doesn't either. It's not a spiritual gift. It doesn't come from God. It comes from another person whom you don't want to spend eternity with. Each manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there's given the message of wisdom, to another message of knowledge by means of the Spirit, to another faith. Interesting, isn't it? Did you know that faith is a spiritual gift? Isn't that interesting? Faith is a spiritual gift. How many of you have known a handful of folks in your life when you can remember them, you know them, and you're like, that is one of the most faithful individuals I've ever seen or known in my whole life. You know some people like that? I know some people like that. It seems that nothing can shake their faith. 
And we think, wow, they must have really studied a lot. No, maybe they have a special gift from God. And maybe God has given them that special gift of faith so that he or she can stand before you and before us all and and be that, that solid rock upon which the rest of us can look and say, I want to be like him, I want to be like her. To another, the gift of healing, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of languages and tongues. And by the way, I don't like to talk about Greek when I preach a sermon because they're like maybe a half of us, a half of a person in here that can even read the language, so what's the point? But if it weren't for the King James Bible, God love you, but if it weren't for the King James Bible putting in that little word in italics that said unknown, we probably wouldn't have a problem with this passage. Because it really talks about languages, not some jibber-jabber. You get what I'm saying? How I would love to go to Mexico and speak Spanish just like that. Wouldn't that be cool? I haven't mastered that yet. No hablo español. ¿Dónde es de baños? If you don't know what that was, that's okay. But if you were laughing, you know what that means. All I'm offering to you is that there are lots of different kinds of gifts God given to us. And he gives them to each one of us as he has determined to give them. So what's your gift? Some of you know. Some of you may not know. That's okay. We'll talk about that. God has put the body together, though, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now you're the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You know, I never figured out, when I was a kid, you you do crazy things when you're a child. You know that, right? This is yes, this is no, this is almost. There's this thing that hangs down the back of your throat. It looks like a punching bag. I call it a goozle. I don't know what the name of it is. There's probably a a medical terminology for that thing that hangs in the back of your throat. Can you touch yours with your tongue? Never tried. I used to try. I don't know what that's for. How many of you know what your tonsils are for? Anybody have a clue? I have no idea what my tonsils are for. And I still have mine. I have no idea what wisdom teeth are for because there's nothing wise about them. Do you get what I'm saying? If you've had yours removed, you know what I'm getting at. I don't understand all of the things about the human body and why it's all put together the way that it is. I don't get all of that. But I know this. There are times when I'm very, very thankful that parts of my body work the way that they do. I'm very excited when my body tells me, hey, that hurts, don't do that anymore. Because if I didn't have that sensation of, hey, this hurts, don't do that anymore, guess what? I might burn my hand or rip my arm off and never even know it and die. And you know, there are some people in our world who suffered with diabetes and other uh, neuropathy kinds of things. They don't have those sensations anymore, and they do harm themselves, and things happen, and they don't even know it's happening until it's too late. And then there are other things about my body that I'm very happy that I feel the wonderful sensation of of joy and wonder and excitement and, and happiness. I love that about living the life that I live. And I'm thrilled that I get to experience that at times because it makes my life complete. Sometimes you have to have a little bad with the good. Sometimes you get a little bit of good with the bad. And the fact of the matter is, guys, as long as we're alive in this earth, we're going to get a little bit of both of those in our life and in our, in our world because that's the world we live in. It's broken. 
And we have to figure out how to deal with the good and the bad, not just in our own personal physical lives and emotional lives, but even within the church. We get to figure out how to deal with things that are challenging and things that are exciting and positive. But dealing with all of that is what gives us the strength to become the better person and the better church. I learned a long time ago it doesn't do me any good to go to the gym and lift weights because I'm still a skinny runt and I never build my muscles up and I can't look like Javon. And he's been in the way and I can't look like you either because you used to lift a lot of weights too. It doesn't do me any good. I used to eat raw eggs and peanut butter, man, to try to get muscles. I got nothing. I got nothing. But I know this. When I'm in the body of Christ, it takes all of us to make the body work. And we all have a different gift. And God has given that gift to us. He did not give me a physical physique that will allow me to go to the gym and pump iron and become super macho looking man. That isn't me. But when I was training and when I was was doing it regularly, I could run forever. Like I remember one Sunday morning when I was preaching down at the little church in San Diego at Palomar Street Church of Christ, I got up on a Sunday morning and I ran 12 and a half miles before church. Now, that's just insane. But I did it. I was training for the, not the Boston Marathon, (laughs) that'll be the day. I was training for the Rock and Roll Marathon in San Diego. That would have been cool. You know what I'm talking about. You know how to run, but you don't have many muscles. But you can run. We all have different physiques, even in the church, but it takes all of us to make this church be what it is. What's your gift? Everything in the church, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And I was sitting here this morning, a couple of weeks ago when I was here last time, I wasn't here last week because we were in Arizona, but a couple of Sundays ago, we sang a a verse or two of a song during the communion time. And in other churches I've been to, we do that a lot. We did that a lot. They may still do it, I don't know. And then in this church, traditionally, we haven't done that much. This morning... Skeeter led a little bit of a verse at the end of the communion before we took the offering. And that may be an encouragement to some of you. It may be a distraction. The time that we spend in worship has to be done so that the church is built up. The time that we spend in small groups together has to be done in a way that the church is built up. The time that you spend at dinner with folks, talking with them, has to be done in a way that the church is built up. Lynn and I went to a little uh, engagement, wedding, whatever you call it, pre-wedding engagement party for a friend of ours that lives at the marina. Yesterday afternoon, we went. I was sitting at a table and talking to two ladies I never met before in my life and talking with Terry, the gentleman that lives there at the marina with us. He's a friend. And the two gals and Terry grew up in the Catholic church. I'm not saying anything bad about the Catholic Church this morning, but they were kind of joking with one another about this thing about uh, confession and purgatory and original sin and all these kind of things. And in the course of the conversation, they asked me a question, and I shared with them, I said, you know, I said, in the world in which I live, in the world in which I exist, in the world of Christ, all forgiveness is the color of blood. 
And when we're cleansed in the blood of Christ, all sin is forgiven. Whether it was original or whether you figured out how to do that after you were born. All forgiveness is the color of blood. Building up one another. Because one of those gals that I was chatting with was still struggling, although she'll be 65 this month, she's still struggling with, how do I ever get forgiveness from anything? You and I are blessed with so many different gifts. So what is your gift? Maybe it's wisdom, faith. Maybe you do have the gift of healing. Maybe it's prophecy. Maybe it's being able to distinguish spirits. Maybe it's the gift of love. Because once you read through 1 Corinthians 12, when he enumerates all of those gifts, he says, now let me show you the more perfect way. And he gives us this whole discourse on love is the greatest of all gifts. Maybe that is your gift. I don't know. But my question that I want you to take home with you today is simply this. What is your gift? Now, if you don't know the answer to that and you'd like some help, let me invite you to come back next Sunday morning. Because next Sunday morning, I'm going to put in your hands a little survey that you're going to be able to take either while you're in the building or take home with you so that it will help give you some better perspective and insight as to what your spiritual gift is or what your spiritual gifts are. You see, I'm not convinced that God only gave you one. I think he's given some of you two or three or four or five or seven. And now the question is where and how will you use the talents, plural, that God has given you? And in what capacity, in what way, in what form will you use the gift that God has given you to build up this body, to build up this church? And not only that, but to share that message and take that message with you on a daily basis, wherever it is that you go and with, ever, and with, ever, with whomever you may be speaking. See, that's what I want us to take away from this conversation. We all have a gift or gifts. What are they? And now what am I going to do with it? There have been a few people that I've known who, for whatever reason, came into an exorbitant amount of money. And you can define whatever that dollar amount is. But I've known a few people who came into a lot of money. And it's been interesting watching some of them and what they did with their lives and how their lives kind of played out once they had the money. What you do with the gift that God gives you matters. Jesus tells a parable one time about the parable of the talents, where there are three individuals who are given a certain sum of money. Two of them do very well with it. They take it, they invest it, they, they, they do business with it, and they bring a great return back to the master. One of them takes the gift that he was given, the talent that he was given. He had buried it in the ground. He returned it to the master saying, here's what you gave me. You're a hard master. I knew you expected a lot, but I was afraid, so here it is. You don't want to face God on the day of judgment and give him back what he gave to you without some return on his investment of that gift in your life. And so our conversation next week and the week after is going to be about the gift that you have. And now that you know what it is, what do you do with this thing? What do you do with it? If you had an extra half a million dollars this afternoon, 
What would you do with that money? Well, I'm going to submit to you that the gift that God has given you through His Spirit is greater, has a greater value than a half million bucks. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure you could put a price tag on it. But I want, I want you to think about what will I do with my gift. Now, if you don't know what that gift is, it's hard. We're going to find that out. So we're going to sing this song. Now it is well with my soul. I love the song. It's got a beautiful message to it. The words of this song call us to think about our lives and living. I don't know if you know the history of the song, but the fellow that wrote this song had virtually lost everything when he penned the words. Part of the great Chicago fire, lost his family, lost his real estate, lost his investments, lost his business. And at the end of the day, he writes this song. All of us are in the middle of things in our lives that can be extremely challenging. Some of us are in the middle of our lives in some of the most positive, exciting times we've ever been in our whole existence. It can be well with our soul either way. This morning, I invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Perhaps he is. Perhaps he has been. Perhaps he could be again. Regardless of your call, we invite you to make your, Jesus the Lord of your life. We can help you in any way. We're going to sing this song. I'll be here at the front. Skeeter's going to come and lead us. And if we can help you, pray with you in any way, please come and let us know. Let's stand and sing this song. When peace like a river, a tent.